This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, Well, there's not a lot to say that sounds very good right now. Um, We have to talk about Afghanistan. We have to talk about failure. We have to talk about uh, a broken swamp, a a system of governing that is so uh, foolish and so uh, weak that literally tens of thousands of people will die. And, uh, well, we have a good program. We're going to talk with uh, Charles Spearing from Breitbart.com, Breitbart News, about what's gone on in Afghanistan. Breitbart has done phenomenal coverage on this uh, story. We'll also, by chance... Uh, talk to James Reston Jr., who's written a book, a kind of historic novel, historical novel about 9-11. Uh, I wanted to interview him in anticipation of 9-11. Now I want to talk to him about what he sees. He's, of course, a well-known author and a journalist. So we'll talk with him. But we have to talk about the um, the problem in Afghanistan. And I would like to try to position this in a different way than you may uh, see. It's going to sound broader. It's going to sound more uh, uh, maybe 30,000 feet because the images are seared in our minds already. People are clinging to planes as they take off from Afghanistan and uh, a feckless president unable to find his way to a camera until a day and a half late. Um, all kinds of things. It's terrible. It's all terrible. But let me a pause and pull back and ask you to consider understanding what leadership looks like in particular when you understand the role of aspects of our lives together. And this is what I want to say. We have always had in this country from Washington on down to today, a notion of what Phyllis Schlafly called termed coined military superiority. And she hearkened back to some of the early writings of Washington, speeches he gave, which were published, in which he said you have to have a big enough uh, military, big enough army, he called it, to be able to fight and win. And people need to know it. People need to know it. So you see, we have, and what, what I mean by that is they have to know not only that you have the military, but you have the will to use it. And with Joe Biden, America, there's still no doubt that America has the greatest military capability in the world. We have the best uh, technology. We have the best uh, arsenal. We have the best training. We even have the best soldiers. What we don't have is the will to lead, the will to act, and the country and the world knows it. The world feels it. Which it, it, the the reality is, military superiority requires both aspects. Uh, consider it a doctrine. Okay, you have to have a superior military in every way. And then you have to have the world know that you're willing to use it fearlessly without question or qualms or hesitation. And what you saw over the weekend, there's all kinds of failures that maybe, maybe, maybe someday we'll get to the bottom of it. The rotten bureaucracy in the Pentagon, probably more likely the rotten bureaucracy in the Pentagon, which is unable to confront the president of the United States, because it's so uh, caught up and so trapped by the woke culture and by careerism. But the reality is no one, they say now, they're probably just covering their tail. The intelligence community had had given indications of how bad this is going to be. That's not the reality. The reality is this. When Joe Biden came in as president, He assumed, in part because he wanted to contrast with Trump, he assumed a position 
of sort of meekness. Well, not even sort of meekness. He was going to be the guy that was going to never be unpredictable. He was never going to be over the top. He was going to always be sort of uh, uh, going by the same set of norms and rules and habits that he'd done for 50 years in Washington. And that's what he did. So what happened was the world looked up and said, huh, when we had Trump in there, it was pretty clear if you messed with him, he was going to be like a cowboy. By the way, if it echoes, it should. They said the same thing about the Gipper, about Ronald Reagan. And actually, they said the same thing at George W. Bush after 9-11. They were like, holy cow, this guy is, uh, is, is unpredictable. And I think he was put in that position. I'm not sure George W. Bush would have been unpredictable if he hadn't had a wartime presidency or after a terrorist attack. But what Donald Trump was clear about was he'd make a deal with the worst dudes and he'd make sure that they lived up to it. Now, I have always thought that this was part of his strength was that he came out of Manhattan in the 1980s and 70s, 80s, 90s, where you had to make a deal. You did tell me that Manhattan didn't include lots of mafia, lots of union bosses, all that kind of stuff. And you had to make a deal with bad guys, not not bad, but people that were going to be less than savory, and you had to know how to deal with them. So when Donald Trump got in, he said, I'm not going to fight with anybody. I'm not going to fight with anybody for fun. I'm going to ask Kim Jong-un to stand down, and he did. I'm going to ask President Xi to cut it out, and he didn't. And when he didn't, he got tough with them. And, and one after another, they take it to Syria. He bombed Syria because he said, you guys are messing around. And then he said, if you want to stop. Remember the Saudi Arabians executing one of their own people, Khashoggi, and the world said, oh, fight about it, fight about it. And what he said was, cut it out. He went to Jerusalem. He said, I'm moving the embassy to Jerusalem. And he said, don't mess with it. People knew that Trump would keep his word if you cut a deal. And if you didn't, he would be an, a maniac about it. And you, all you have to do is look at what happened. There was nobody in Afghanistan, it appears, that cared what Joe Biden or his military thought because they knew he wouldn't do anything about it. He set a deadline, he moved it, he moved it back. He, he said dumb things in a press conference. And then once they started to march, off they go. Now, we've all talked about this over and over again. I, I, I did not want the war to continue, so we had to get out. But how you get out matters too. How you get out of the war matters too. And at this point, the all, it doesn't matter what the total truth of it was. What matters is Joe Biden looked feckless. He looked weak. He looked militarily in, inferior. He looked every way inferior. We didn't look like a nation that understood that the best way for peace is to be strong militarily superior, show the world that superiority, and then stay out of dumb stuff and honor what you've done. Now we had the worst of all worlds. Not only did we not do what we were supposed to with the people that helped us after 20 years, but the way we left put everybody in danger. It couldn't be worse. If you were trying to design a way to make America look bad, it couldn't be worse. That's what he just did. That's what Joe Biden just did. Again, I don't have any problem with getting out of Iraq. I don't have any problem that there was going to be problems. There would have been. What I have a problem is not understanding how fast this has happened, how ugly it's been, and having no real strength. Nobody fears Joe Biden. 
Can you imagine if they did what they're doing to Trump? Can you imagine? By now he would have had the, they would have dropped the Moab on the, on the, on the, in the middle of the Taliban. They would have been droning everybody. I mean, I, it's, I mean, it, it probably would have been, you know, uh, it, it probably would have been a new kind of war, but Trump would have done it. Well, he just wouldn't have, he would have understood the process. He would have understood the principle. I don't know how long it will take for America to recover from this. I think we will, but I don't know if people understand this is not just a failure of intelligence. This is not just a mix-up. This is a radical failure of leadership. If you want to lead in the world, you must be militarily superior. You must understand you have to be powerful, you have to be strong, and then you have to be willing And the world has to know your willingness, not just somewhere in the back of your closet you might do something. You have to be willing to stand up. And Joe Biden, whether in his speech at the White House, finally, days later, or in his weird bunker where he was in Camp David, supposedly on vacation and and did a call, you know, with all these intelligence folks and by himself looked like he was barely, you know, paying attention or I don't know, it just looked terrible, terrible optics. Whoever's doing this in the White House is just ridiculous. And meanwhile... Our now the next move that's happening in our liberal media and liberal uh, uh, leaders is we got to let tens of thousands, maybe 100,000 Afghan refugees in unvetted. Just let them in. We've seen this play out. Stand up, America. Stand up. We've got to stand up right now. We cannot wait any longer. This mess is endangering our republic now. Maybe it was before. We got to stand up. All right, we got to take a break right now. We'll come back and uh, we've got some great guests and we'll have more. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com to find out more and follow all that we're doing. Be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. And uh, our old friend, I had him on the show a few times, probably a while ago now, is uh, Steve Bias. He's a professor out in Oklahoma. He writes all over the place. But here's where I uh, am with him. I bought his book. His book is called History's Greatest Libels, A Challenge to Some of the Great Lies of History. And I bought it, Steve, on my Kindle. And every time I'm on my Kindle, which is pretty frequently now, I will fl- I'll flip through, and I, when I, especially when I travel on a plane, I'll flip through books that I've got in there, and I'll end up back in this book. It's a great, it's a great useful read. So welcome back, Steve. How are you? I'm very good. I, I'm doing just fine. So one of the things you write, write in the book is, you, or you quote George Orwell, and he said the most effective, Orwell said, or wrote, I guess, the most effective way to destroy people is to deny and obliterate their own understanding of their history. So here we are, where uh, we're watching history be, being rewritten. But I want to try something else and ask you about this. When you see, um, like, Joe Biden is trying to say everything is somebody else's fault, and you actually watch the media go into a full swing and say basically, oh, yeah, that's right, that's the truth here, is that, you know, there's nothing anybody could do, this is the way it was, and they're just lying about it. And I guess my point here is, is there anything that we're not lied to about? I mean, it really is history just the lie written by the winner. Well, it's, uh, I guess you could put it, that's one way of putting it. Uh, I guess those who uh, control the narrative, uh, uh, if you want to call them the winners, uh, they tend to uh, 
write their version yeah. of history. And I guess it's, uh, in my book, I was just uh, attempting to uh, give a little bit of a counter uh, to, to that and several of mm-hmm. the different cases that are cited. That's about all we can do. Right, right. Well, again, we're talking with Steve Bias, a professor and author. And uh, so I wanted to get you one of these because I, I don't know if you saw the Republican, some Republican. I love these groups that call themselves Republican. and Maybe they are, but the, the Republican Accountability Project or something put out a new, the new McCarthy. The new McCarthy is the Joe McCarthy of the past. He was this terrible, terrible person. The new one is Kevin McCarthy and who is now defending insurrectionists. Here's my thing. And you go into this in the book. Joe McCarthy basically said, and correct me, you go into it in more detail, he basically said there's lots of people that are communists or communist sympathizers in the government, and that was turned out to be true. We, we know that, especially after the fall of the Soviet Empire, uh, the Soviet Union, we, the Soviet, uh, a bunch of their records were released, and there was even more than McCarthy said. And yet, you're, you talk about this, they, Joe McCarthy smeared innocent people is the, is the libel that they say. Walk us through that one. I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? Well, I, uh, I guess uh, the people who say that, I think they're either just uh, uninformed or they're parroting what they've heard. And he, right. uh, as far as marrying innocent people, uh, uh, innocent of what? You know, uh, they, his concern was people who were loyal to a foreign power, a hostile foreign power, the Soviet Union, were working in sensitive positions in the United States government. And that was really the narrow focus of his crusade, if you will. Uh, he wasn't trying to get rid of people in Hollywood, or uh, that was not his uh, his drive. And uh, but uh, but so uh, yeah, to have be a new McCarthy, there had to be an old McCarthy by their definition. <laughs> and this is a battle that yeah, uh, we I per, you know a lot of conservatives don't want to make this battle, and I think that's why the liberals win a lot is because we're not prepared to battle old battles like they are. Well, and and you know uh, the uh, the thing about uh, Joe McCarthy is it's it becomes I mean even the phrase McCarthyism is supposed to be a negative when I tell people all the time if we had a Joe McCarthy and you know maybe and this is I'm sure he'd get mad at it. they don't like this if you say it because it's been so corrupted the language but you know Josh Hawley's played a little bit of a Joe McCarthy role on China I mean how, how, what what Joe McCarthy said was what's going on in government who are all these people that may or may not be uh, 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 you know um, uh, for America it turns out he was right and right now in America. America, we've got literally, you know, uh, um, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Chinese nationals working in government. By the way, the, the newer book in 2009, it was Stan Evans, the famous Stan Evans, the late great M. Stan Evans, who wrote a book called Blacklisted by History, the untold story of Senator Joe McCarthy and his fight against America's ex- enemies. And that really was, to me, that was the, it should have been the end of the story. I mean, when you see that laid out, you just know it's, um, it's over. But back to my point, why, if we we're not willing to defend McCarthy. We're, you know, we're, we're, well, this is what they did to McCarthy. They, they, they put him into, you know, they silenced him by beating him upside the head, at least in terms of his reputation. Same thing they're doing with uh, China. Because why aren't we having a conversation about the Chinese infiltration of America? Yeah. Well, it, it's, uh, it, it, it's a continuing battle, you know, that uh, it, it's not like, uh, uh, well, I guess one thing, a lot of, Sometimes people won't fight these battles of the past. There's always a new battle that has to be fought. But one thing we can learn is the problem back then was the Soviet Union. Now the problem is uh, Red China. 
and uh, it uh, it is a big problem. And uh, so, you know, so if when you, you say McCarthy was wrong, then it uh, it probably causes other people to be con- scared to say anything because that's how they're going to be right. portrayed in history. Yeah, exactly right. We're talking again with Steve Steve Bias and uh, his book. I'll put it up on social media. Um, Steve, so when you watch. Um, when you want, and you wrote compiling the book, you went looking back. You know, even look back to President Polk, and you're looking at at these these instances where what is portrayed as the as the um, the truth and conventional wisdom is just a lie. You call it libels. Um, it, has the narrative machine accelerated in its lies? I mean, at this point, are we seeing un, you know almost feels like every other day we're getting uh, you know. Um, the January sixth is a, it seems to me that ja- the twenty twenty election you know we're we're watching the narrative machine jam truths into the American uh, consciousness at a r- pace that was seems unlike it was in the past. I think it's a much worse problem today because back in the nineteen fifties you had conservative newspapers. Uh, you had, uh, of course, the Chicago Tribune was conservative. The New Hampshire Union Leader. Uh, you know, our daily Oklahoman here, but they're all liberal now. All these newspapers have gone liberal. And, and so back then you had people read newspapers. And so they kind of countered a lot of this other stuff, but uh, that doesn't really exist anymore. You don't have these daily, great daily newspapers uh, countering anything at all today. So I think well, and so problem. what do you do? Yeah, what do you think? What do you what do you recommend people do other than buy your book and read your book? It's a good example, but in more more uh, you know generally, um, you know you you've taught in universities, a couple different universities. I mean, the universities have gone down the hopper too. I mean, there's only a handful that I would say you know seem to be. Uh, so, how do people handle it? What what do you recommend? Well, uh, on an individual basis, they can uh, they could write letters to the editor. Uh, they can mm-hmm. get their friends to write letters to the editor. You know, kind of organizing, I would call committees of correspondence, so to speak, like they did back before the War for Independence. Uh, you know, you have a group of friends, and they're all doing this. They're writing uh, letters to the editor. That would help. That would be something. Uh-huh. Uh, and just uh, right. and, and challenge these things, and challenge every time you hear it. You know, Facebook uh, and, and all that. Uh, I don't think they're going to take down... Uh, like, for example, anything about McCarthy anymore, because most of those, uh, I would say a lot of those Facebook fact-checkers, uh, they're, they're, they're ignorant. They probably don't even know who Joe McCarthy was, you know, so they're probably right. not going to do anything on that. For example, now today, uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, they're ready, you know, to challenge anything. But you need to get organized and get together with other people you know, to do these things. You can't be the Lone Ranger and stop it. You know, like... Uh, See, we're talking about again? Uh, Go ahead. You Keep know, going. like organizations like your organization and, and others uh, are ones that, uh, you know, strengthen numbers and, uh, mm-hmm. and action, taking action, beginning educated and taking action. Those are the two things. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is, it's kind of stunning when you watch. I think it was out at... Uh, out of one of these big conferences, like the Aspen Institute had an, a, a conference on ideas and the Facebook oversight board. So this is like the Supreme Court of Facebook said, yeah, but we're totally separate from the fact checkers. That's a separate division of Facebook. And you say to yourself, look, 
it's clear that these guys all have an agenda, an ideo- ideological agenda. I mean, it's, not, it's as clear as can be. And yet, it's almost uh, like oxygen, as much uh, you know, the social media has as fast as they have gotten in there. So I think you got more books to write. Steve, i got to run. It's Steve Bias. Again, his book I'll put up on social media. Uh, really helpful, really interesting perspective on what I call the media, uh, excuse me, the narrative machine. So thanks for the time, Steve. All right. Well, thanks for having me on. Okay, we'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You know I have uh, talked before to James Reston Jr. about his book, The 19th Hijacker. And uh, The 19th Hijacker uh, is uh, set, it's a sort of, a, well, it's a novel, but it's based on a lot of history and a lot of uh, uh, information that the 9-11 Commission and others had put together. And, of course, I, I, I actually got James Reston Jr., on the calendar, thinking, well, it'll be good before 9-11, because it talk about the book and all. Uh, and then, of course, everything that's happened in the last uh, few days in Afghanistan brings a lot of this to top of mind. So, first of all, James Reston, Jr., welcome back to the program. How are you? Delighted to be here. You you know, you were telling me just before off the air, and I'd like you to bring it bring it out, um, about the origins of the book, meaning, you you know, you, waking up one day and saying, oh, I'll write a, a sort of novel about a 9-11, because setting it up again, it's about one of the hijackers, the 19th hijacker, who was, was factually, we know, historically, in a relationship, there was this, and was somewhat, um, at least based on the record, somewhat uh, torn about this. But tell us the backstory. How'd you, how'd you end up doing this? This is an interesting thing. Yeah, well, um, it really started with the co-chairman of the 9-11 Commission, uh, and uh, he was, I was at lunch with, uh, uh, with him, Lee Hamilton was his name, and yeah, he said sure. the Commission itself was very interested in one of the 19 hijacker because, as you said, he was the one who uh, at, uh, took the plane down in Shanksville, but was very much in conflict over the the mission because of a romantic relationship. So my ears perked up about that. Uh, Lee Hamilton said he'd help me any way uh, that I uh, wanted if I w- went forward with the thing. And I quickly found out that all the information about all the perpetrators of 9-11 remained c- classified because of ongoing uh, legal proceedings at Guantanamo Bay. And so I was very frustrated at this because here was a, a human story of, of somebody who was not just a Nazi in lockstep with uh, Islamic terrorism, but who had got a, was kind of a bit weak and got sucked into the whole thing and then was very, con- very much in conflict almost to the end. So I was frustrated not to be able to go, uh, go ahead and, and do this, but I was with the filmmaker Ron Maxwell, um, oh, yeah. A friend of mine uh, did this mm-hmm. epic film about uh, Gettysburg. And he turned to me sure. and said, why don't you do it as a novel? And the, that's 10 years ago, and full circle, huh. uh, Ron <laughs> Maxwell now has the film rights to, uh, to the oh, novel. And, yeah, yeah. And, and apparently uh-huh. is, um, is close to a deal. So we'll, we'll see about hmm. that. Well, that's interesting. Again, we're talking with James Reston Jr. He's uh, the author of, I think, close to 20 books. 18 books, I think, is the last number. And uh, we're talking about this book, The 19th Hijacker, published by Republic Book Publishers. Let me pause and ask you a question that came up to me as I'm listening. Uh, recently, some of the 9-11 surviving or the families said to Joe Biden, don't come if you don't declassify 
a bunch of the information uh, and and even for families it's de- it's classified what what happens in the trajectory of this does it eventually get declassified or is some of it never going to come out well that's a totally you know? different question that's a totally different oh. question what they are after what they suspect is that there was some formal relationship between the Saudi Arabian government and al qaeda and bin laden that's what they think is in the government uh, archives and and is classified. So that's what their beef is. What what I'm I talking see. about is any information that that uh, had to do with with the actual perpetrators, but especially uh, the one who took the plane down in Shanksville. That anything mm. having to do with with him remains classified because of these ongoing legal proceedings. All that said, Ed, I. Uh, I don't really think what is classified would be very interesting because obviously, hmm. you know, these guys are all dead and they didn't talk to anybody beforehand and so forth. So that's really what led me into the trajectory. If I wanted hmm. to try to understand what motivates these people, particularly ones who are bent on violence, uh, it had to be imagined. So that's what I did with the 19th Hijack. Hmm. We're talking again, James Reston Jr., author of many books. The book we're talking about is uh, The 19th Hijacker, published by Republic Book Publishers uh, earlier this year, available everywhere you get books. Um, but uh, can I pause and ask you, because I, I saw in list looking at your books, you've written about Christianity and Islam a number of times. And when you watched the new um, spokesman for the Taliban say, yeah, we're going to be fine here. Uh, women are welcome uh, to do whatever they're doing uh, uh, as long as it comports with Sharia law. Are, aren't we headed... I mean, I'm not I'm not saying we should go back to Afghanistan. I'm saying, aren't we going to see uh, the an Islamic state in Afghanistan? It's going to look... It, it's not exactly going to be a, a, a friendly uh, view, is it? No, not in the least. But the central question for America is whether it becomes a haven again for... Islamic terrorism, terrorism. that would um, right. potentially threaten threaten America. I uh, I think that's where the focus uh, ought to be. You know, the Taliban is what the Taliban is. So we, there's nothing that we have mm-hmm. anything to do about how they shape their new government in the whole thing. But what we we do want to know a great deal about is whether they will invite Al Qaeda back into into being and ISIS and so forth and then if they do and establish uh, bases for uh, international terrorism are we going to know about it and I think we're in a far better position now than we were in 2001 to monitor that kind of activity even in Taliban's Afghanistan that uh, we've got we we understand you know how they operate, um, but we need to get a real bead on the bad guys themselves. And so we, you know, I can, you, you can be sure that from the from the orbits of our uh, our spy satellites and so forth that, that uh, Afghanistan is going to be covered like a blanket. <laughs> uh, we're talking again with James Reston Jr., uh, author of the book *The Nineteenth Hijacker*. Uh, one more question, slightly off topic of the book, but because I'm, I'm interested, you, your your career. I think I know that you were an army guy. You were army in Vietnam, yeah. so all the way through till today. When people say, "Oh, Islamic uh, 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 radical Islam is a threat," 
it feels like it is. I get it. But isn't the communist sort of the Chinese communist regime now where we're looking at world threats? They may be allies, by the way. China, the regime is is going to recognize the Taliban first, I guess. But isn't isn't that almost the larger existential threat today? Well, that's um, that certainly seems to be the tone of the Biden administration, that they want to move on from Islamic terrorism, want to move away from the the Middle East to focus on China as the, the biggest challenge. I don't know that it's a, it's a threat. Certainly, right. certainly it's uh, the biggest challenge that America faces now and in, in, in with Biden and, and, and beyond uh, Biden. So, yes, but uh, it's, it's one thing to talk about a small group of people who are bent on international plots that would would harm our citizens, would harm our, our buildings, would uh, mm-hmm. take down our our cyber security, all all that kind of stuff. That's that's one direct criminal uh, attack on America, usually by a relatively small group of people, a whole nation of, of billions of people. That's a different kind of a geopolitical thing. So I think those two things need to be separated. I see. All right. Um, James Reston Jr., we just got about a minute, a little bit more than a minute left. As we go towards 9-11, and you immersed yourself in this book to the 19th hijacker about uh, one of the hijackers and that, how, how do you see it tw- 20 years later? How, how will you, and now in the greater context, how does, how does it, uh, the, the, the com- remembering and the commemoration of 9-11 hit you? Yeah, well, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a kind of a double-edged sword uh, by the anniversary itself being joined with the uh, collapse of Af- Afghanistan. Um, President right. Biden, you know, put September 11th as his date for completely pulling out. That is right. re- really a good thing. But then you have the history of the whole thing about how did it happen. Uh, what motivated the people that that did it, and it's my very very strong belief that that uh, the U.S. Capitol through the Flight 93 thing was extremely extremely in danger of being hit, mm. and if that had mm. happened, uh, 9/11 it would just been so much worse. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Unfortunately, I got to run. James Reston Jr., the book, I'll put it up on social media. I have it. It's uh, The 19th Hijacker. It's really interesting. Uh, well done, so, and such a great perspective. Thank you for your time, sir. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Ed. All the best. All right. We'll take, a qu- we'll, take a quick, we'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The fight over the poorly named For the People Act was a political battle for the ages. Democrats saw an opportunity to all but eliminate their greatest fear, losing any re-election campaign. Republicans knew that they were fighting for the very existence of free and fair elections. As everyone expected, the showdown was intense. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi let the cat out of the bag when she admitted that passing H.R. 1 would make it easier to pass new gun controls. After getting Obamacare through Congress with the notorious remark that we have to pass the bill so that you can find out what's in it, Pelosi made the mistake of admitting that she had to pass H.R. 1 so that Democrats could pass other unpopular legislation without fear of being defeated. 
On the other hand, Republican Senator John Thune of South Dakota rightly described H.R. 1 as a piece of legislation that needs to die and die quickly. What Thune and others understood all too well was that H.R. 1 was an attack on the separation of powers between the state and federal governments. This separation is known as federalism. Federalism has been a cherished part of American government dating all the way back to the era of the Founding Fathers. Today's Congress should not be federalizing election law so Democrats can displace state election laws to tilt the process in their favor. Instead, current federal law requiring that Election Day be on one day should be enforced without allowing extended periods of early and mail-in voting which lack verification of authenticity. Federalism is a beautiful system because it gives more power to the people by keeping the decision-making process at a more local level. A Monmouth University poll discovered that 91% of Republicans, 87% of independents, and even 62% of Democrats support requiring photo ID in order to vote. Federalism gives the will of the people a chance to be expressed through a patchwork of state laws. The For the People Act sought to override the will of the people by destroying the careful framework of federalism. Conservatives need to remember that federalism will always be the friend of the grassroots activist. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Our mission, clearly stated at phyllisschlafly.com, is to enable and mobilize grassroots activism on behalf of cherished conservative values. You're encouraged today to go online and read the goals we support and those we oppose. Then join us. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and come back next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And let me remind you again, uh, you can always go over to ProAmericaReport.com and sign up for the emails there and uh, listen to any of these segments and interviews again. Lots of great stuff. I will be filling you in. I think tomorrow I'll do it on Eagle Council, the 50th Eagle Council, which will be next month in Orlando, Florida, featuring General Mike Flynn and lots of others, including James O'Keefe. Uh, we're hoping Congressman Devin Nunes will be there. I know Cash Patel will be there, the great... Uh, uh, great um, leader. I, you know, he, he, he was a staffer up on the Capitol Hill and then ended up in the senior administration uh, official for the Trump administration. Just awesome dude. So we'll talk more about that in, uh, in tomorrow. Uh, I want to finish up today, though, because a lot of people are, are sort of wondering what's happened. What happened with Joe Biden? What happened uh, in this situation? You know, how did it get bungled so bad? What's the future? And um one of the things that I would say is you got to go read the people that have lived it. I mean, one of the things that's important, one aspect of wisdom is listening to the people who went through it. It doesn't mean, by the way, that only the people who go through it have a right to wisdom. In other words, there are people that are very, very smart and serious and wise about, say, war making or about policy. I like to tell people, I mean, I know it, it betrays my own uh, uh, faith background, but one of the greatest commanders ever in military history was... Was Joan of Arc, uh, completely uh, untrained, just was, uh, well, she was on a mission from God, I think. So, but anyway, you know, there's lots of experts, lots of, not experts, lots of wisdom, wisdom, wisdom's better than experts. Experts have PhDs and, are, and often are idiots. Wisdom is acquired lots of different ways. Well, 
One of the guys with wisdom about the fight that we're facing in the world is General Flynn. And his book is called Field of Fight. It came out in 2016, How to Win the Global War Against Radical Islam and Its Allies. Now, when you read this book, there's a lot to it. And you get a sense of him, which is very impressive. Uh, General Flynn's life and his career and his trajectory and his voice when you read it. But you get to the chapter called How to Win, which is the second to last chapter, I think. There is a concluding chapter. But he basically says, okay, here's what the problem is. Here's how the world's changed. Here's how we're in a different war than ever. We're not going to have a war that's, you know, kind of march in and fight toe-to-toe. It's a, there's information. It's an insurgency. I mean, guerrilla war, all that stuff. But in the second or third page of, uh, the, um, of, the, of the chapter How to Win, General Flynn writes, quote, the primary requirement for winning any war is the willingness, determination and resolve to win and to do the necessary things required for victory. Now, let me pause and say one of the arguments that I would put forth right now is that Americans too often don't have the resolve to win because they're overexposed to and the media to the the drama of war instead of the ugliness or the drama of uh, of success or failure instead of the difficulty of success. I mean, when you decide to win. It changes everything. It's not, I really want to win. No, if you decide to win, there's a difference between desire and deciding. And once you understand that, you can change your mind. It's a mindset shift. Uh, you guys sometimes hear me talk. Uh, uh, Mike Cernovich, the, uh, the writer and the, and the Twitter personality, who wrote a book called The Gorilla Mindset. One of the things that was uh, powerful about that is he was echoing the, uh, the book. I think it was Carolyn Zwick. Uh, Carolyn Zwick, who wrote a book on the mindset. Um, and that, that idea, it sort of stuck with me to say, okay, how do you, how do you uh, change the mindset, you know, what you're doing? So in this case... You have to decide, yeah, it's called Mindset, The New Psychology of Success by Carolyn, oh, got it wrong, Dweck. Dweck is her name, D-W-E-C-K. So how do you, and General Flynn goes on in this chapter to say, you have to change your mindset to resolve to win. You have to have the resolve, you have to resolve to win, decide to win. Not just desire it, decide and do everything you have to do. Now, I would argue today that the fight, the field of fight, you can expand past even what General Flynn says, clearly radical Islam is a threat and it's on the rise now. But I think you, the communists, are the same problem. And actually, here's the interesting question, which I haven't had a chance to ask General Flynn. In some ways, we've got a battle within our own country with people that are, are, are using information against us. misleading us, lying. And and, and so, you know, when you say the field of fight, clearly in Afghanistan and other places, that radical Islam is a threat. And it's a threat here now. It's one of the reasons why if you understand that you have to win, you wouldn't offer hundreds of thousands of uh, refugees to this country without vetting them from Afghanistan or anywhere else. So the resolving to win, deciding that you're going to win is a starting point. Now, earlier in the book, he talks about understanding what's happening. In other words, you, you have to understand, and he goes in length as an intelligence officer, General Flynn talks about getting into the mind of your adversary, your enemy, the person you're facing, and what they're doing. And again, I pull back a little bit, a little bit higher. Watch the communist regime in China, what they're doing, how they're taking advantage of the situation. They're the allies of this Islamic uh, fundamentals, radical Islam, 
and this Islamic Emirate that they're talking about. They've all they said they found it already. So that's a good book to go. I want to encourage you to go. You know, talk about wisdom. You want to find wisdom? You can go read. Uh, you know, the Art of War, and you can read uh, Clausewitz and all kinds of things. But you you need to get. You know, in, in our modern times, you can uh, you can go ahead and uh, and take a look. And and this is a good one: The Field of Fight. Uh, by Michael T. Flynn, Lieutenant General, Army Retired. Uh, that's worth checking out, and um, and uh, I think you'll learn a lot from it. All right, we're gonna take, we gotta wrap up. I want to say thank you, as always, to our great, great uh, technical and uh, technical director and producer Noah Dingley. He does a great job. He's often on with Noah says, as well as Joanna, who helps us book our guests out of the home office in St. Louis, Missouri. Don't forget, you can go to ProAmericaReport.com anytime, day or night. Listen to the show as a podcast. Listen to the indie standalone. Uh, segments and also get signed up for the daily email and we'll be back tomorrow it's ed martin here in the pro america report talk to you then this is the pro america report on the answer san diego